Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. get the great privilege of introducing to you a mentor and a friend, Dr. Charles Cooper. He, um, he's one of the reasons why I'm still in ministry. He was a professor to Pastor Sean, um, a dear friend to me and mentor. And um, it's interesting, at Coastal, you have Sean, who has a six-foot-five Scotsman as his mentor, and I have a six-foot black man as my mentor, and it just speaks to the diversity and the cross-cultural um, love of Coastal Community Church. And uh, it's, it's one of the great things about our church that God does is he constantly is motivating us and growing us um, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. He was a professor at Moody for seven years. He um, has been on the speaking circuit for uh, Promise Keepers. He speaks all over um, the country from Orlando, Florida, and a personal friend. Put your hands together for Dr. Charles Cooper. Amen. Thank you, buddy. I'm always encouraged when people clap first. <laughs> Amen. It's a great joy for me to be here today, multiple reasons, of course. One of first is uh, your pastor. Uh, he uh, was a student at Moody, and of course, you, you never know how people are going to turn out. Um, <clears throat> you can only hope. Um, and, and your pastor, then, of course, hair was uh, thicker, longer. Um, always needed some uh, a needle and thread for his pants. Um, it's good to see that he uh, finally fixed his britches. Uh, but uh, <coughs> Pastor Andrew and wife uh, came here from Orlando, and we were just very excited. And now that I've had a chance to spend some time here, I see why uh, that was just a fantastic choice. I love you because you love him and you care for him. Keep him safe in Christ. For that we are monumentally happy. I'm here this weekend with your men wives and I'm wearing the uh, t-shirt that uh, the men for their retreat. You have to be a man to wear that color. Um, uh, those, those pastels. <clears throat> so thank you so very, very much. Uh, I appreciate the privilege, and I look forward to coming back again, hopefully in the future, to uh, see your progress as you continue to expand your geographical claim for Christ uh, in this great community. Thank you very much. The men had as a theme this weekend, live salty. 
stay salty, my friend. We talked about what it means for a man to be salty. He must be saved. He must be assiduous, loyal, trusted, and yielded. And as such, you cause both preservation and ruination as well as enhancing of flavor. This morning, I wanted to try to tie that all together, what we talked about uh, this weekend, and to encourage the whole family of Christ as we look at the final call of salty people. We're in Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, please open at the word. It's a mirror, as you know. The Bible will show you yourself uh, and also the possible transformation. So we're in Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 22, and I'm going to use the ESV as my Bible of choice. Chapter 8, verse 22, and they, that is the disciples and Jesus, came to Bethsaida, which was the home of Peter. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men, but they, they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. If you've been around the church any time, if you are a Bible reader, if you are familiar with Jesus and what he did, then this passage should immediately arrest a cause, a pause in your thinking. Something is not right about it. Why would Jesus have to work this hard to get some sight in this man's eyes? Why would Jesus have to try it twice in order for this man to see clearly? That's not usual. And all the miracles that Jesus did, none of them gave the appearance that he was messing up. It has inspired some interpreters to go fancy in their interpretation. One guy suggests that the reason Jesus didn't get this right the first time was because he was having a bad day. I suppose is possible. I mean, most of us here today would be quite happy to just have one of them. And if Jesus, given all that he did, walking everywhere, the light, and he, had, he just had a bad day. But for us who are believers and who know we, that's not an answer for us. We couldn't have confidence. We wouldn't be happy with a God who had bad days. The very day that we needed him most might be a day that he's out of the office. 
We would not be comforted by this sign, away. Hope you can make it until I get back. <laughs> Probably not. I was surprised to find one guy who suggested that Jesus used the wrong healing formula. Jesus was supposed to use extra strength. He gave the guy just a little booster and it didn't turn out well. You and I know that doctors often don't know really whether they're helping us or not. If you are a doctor and you're here this morning, you know that you experiment on us. <laughs> you give us some stuff, you don't know whether it's really going to work or not, and by the time we finish reading all them side, all them side effects, we don't want to take it nohow, because <laughs> I, I don't think this is going to go well. So maybe Jesus, uh, he, didn't, he didn't know. He just, well, let's, let's see if we can work on you, and we'll try this, and if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. Probably not. I would imagine that if Jesus, who created eyes, uh, ought to certainly be able to fix one that's broken. A rather liberal fellow suggests that maybe this was a two-part miracle. The first thing Jesus had to do was get some sight and then adjust it. Kind of like the old television, because you young people, y'all don't remember, but television, you used to have to turn it on and wait for it to warm up. And then when it finally did, the, the, it would have lines, and it, the lines would either run this way or the lines would run that way, and then you had to go outside and turn the antenna to finally get it to focus on the channel you wanted. In fact, there were some times you had to stay out there and keep your hand and hold it in order for the picture yeah, it really did. And of course, the old people made the children go out there and hold the pole. <clears throat> hold it right there. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not. I would imagine that if Jesus was going to heal this fellow, he should uh, have some idea about what it is he's doing, given the fact that he had healed more than one blind person already. So those answers are unsatisfactory for us who have confidence in the Word of God that we read. Now, one of the principles of good Bible study is that if you encounter a problem in the text, you should look in the context, see if you can figure out if there is something either before it or after it that can help you understand what it is that the author is trying to do. And this is one of those cases where if you don't check the context, this miracle will seem rather nonsensical or it doesn't have much meaning. It actually does. We have to go back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. So look in your Bible, if you will, please. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he, that is Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. That's impressive. Any preacher good enough to keep people away from the restaurant for three days, 
That, that's good preaching. You're not told what Jesus preached, but it must have been pretty good because about 20 minutes from now, y'all going to be ready to go. <laughs> we kind of like to get to the restaurant first to get that first cut, you know. Amen, amen. And I won't let you go. Don't get nervous. Jesus said, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar away. His disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked him, how many loaves do you have? Somebody chirped in, we got seven loaves. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to sit before the people. And they set them before the crowd. They had a few false small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were 4,000 people there, and he set them away. Interesting, Jesus took seven loaves and a few small fish and fed 4,000 people. Of course, the liberal commentaries don't appreciated, one guy suggested that Jesus, <coughs> when he told everybody to let's pray, while the people's heads were down and eyes were closed, the disciples were bringing the food out of a cave that Jesus had hid the food in. <laughs> and as soon as Jesus said amen, they were standing there with the food. It, wow. <laughs> that was pretty. Some people it takes more for them to believe that than it does just to believe the simple truth here. I mean, how did Jesus know how many people were going to be out there? I mean, for him to have food already hidden in caves, did he, how did he know he was going to have 4,000? I guarantee you, I wouldn't have 4,000 following me for three days with nothing to eat. And then Jesus had them to sit just in the right place and had to decide to bring it out just at the right time. I think it takes more faith to believe that than they just, that he created it out of nothing which I believe. Now you got 4,000 people here. How much bread did Jesus have to make for them? You got 4,000 people they haven't eaten in three days and they got to eat enough to be filled so that they got to travel back home three days. So that means they got to eat, a, they got to eat double. They got to make up for the three days they went hungry and now they got to make up for the three days they're going to get hungry again on the way home. So that means that most of the men there are probably going to be eating two or three loaves all by themselves. I would imagine that he probably had to come up with several tons of bread. My last experiment in the restaurant tells me that he had to create a whole lot of fish because you don't get much when you go out there and buy fish these days in a restaurant. Do you notice how small the piece is? All that money you're paying for one little old slab. And I certainly know that you're not going to be able to be happy with what you buy these days for $16.95 at the local store. So if Jesus is going to feed people this much fish and bread and everybody's going to be satisfied, I think he probably had to come up with four or five tons of fish. So he fed these people, everybody is satisfied, and after he finishes uh, the eating, they take up seven baskets of fragments, leftovers, fish and chips for later. 
Interestingly, it says in verse 10, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmatia. The Pharisees, people we hate, came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? I truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, why was Jesus upset with these people, the Pharisees? Because they said, now listen, Jesus, Jesus, we know your people. And uh, we know all about Joseph and Mary and your, your brothers, and we're not too impressed. I'll tell you what now, we will, we're fair people. We're willing to give you a chance. Why don't you do a miracle? In fact, do the mother of miracles, and then we'll believe in you. It's not that we don't like you. It's hard for us to believe that a fellow from Nazareth with reputation of your daddy be that good. But unfortunately, Jesus said, you got a problem. I don't do miracles where people don't believe. So if you believe, I'll do miracles. But if you don't believe, I don't do miracles. Stalemate. They subscribe to the philosophy of life that if we don't see it, we don't believe it, which is not wise. That is not a good way to live. Young people, you can't live that way. That's dangerous. You cannot live by thinking that if you don't see it, and if I don't handle it, I don't believe it's real. <coughs> Excuse me, that's not wise. Because there's a lot of stuff in life that you can't see, you can't touch, and you can't taste it, but it'll key. There's a lot of stuff that you don't need to see. You, you better leave that alone, okay? That's not a wise philosophy to live your life by. I don't believe it's a fast car unless I drive it for myself. It's probably not wise. So Jesus said, living by the philosophy, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Show and tell, Jesus. You show us, and then we'll tell you whether we believe that it was good enough for us to believe that you are who you say you are. Not wise living. Unfortunately, men, we have a lot of people that subscribe to that philosophy of life, show and tell. But actually, there is something worse. And that's what Jesus is going to get at. The Pharisees, unbelievers who didn't want to believe anyway, were only first tier. But there's a second tier that's more deadly and more dangerous. So Jesus, it says in verse 13, he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side, back over. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, the disciples. And they had one loaf with them in the boat. Now, if you write in your Bible, you should be underlining that because that is, that is the pivot. That's very important. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Peter, you were supposed to bring some bread. You know Jesus wanted us to bring some bread. <laughs> Judas got the money bag. He, why didn't he bring, go buy their bread? Thomas said, I doubt he's going to be happy with us. <laughs> I 
Jesus said, listen, you, you got to be careful, boys, that leaven. See, leaven is unbelief. Leaven is unbelief. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, said, then why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand you've been with me all this time and you haven't figured this out? Are you, are your hearts hardened? When in the Bible is the first time you hear about somebody having a hard heart? Yeah, yeah, that Egyptian fellow, Pharaoh. They had a hard heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He even says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You get the idea he had a hard heart? You know what a hard heart is? It's seeing something that is incontrovertible and won't yet will not believe. Herod, God sent 10 signs to Herod, and he still would not believe. To see incontrovertible proof and yet will not believe. Jesus said to his disciples, you got, you got a problem. Having eyes, verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Can't y'all, y'all, you must be ADD. Verse 19 says that when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Alex, what is 12? $200. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, what is seven? Jesus said, okay, now let me get this right. On one occasion, I fed 5,000 people and after it was finished, you took up 12 baskets of fragments. Each one of you were carrying a basket. 12 disciples, each one had a basket full of fragments left over from him feeding 5,000. Just earlier today, boys, I fed 4,000 and you took up seven baskets. Seven is complete. It's the number of completion. It, everything was, it was perfect. Everybody ate until they were filled. No one left there hungry. And each one of you looked at the seven baskets of perfection left behind. And you are worried about whether or not I can feed 12 with one loaf. You see, friend, there's something worse than show and tell, and that is to have good eyes and yet not see. Jesus said to these boys, now let me get this. Listen, if there's one thing I know, I know bread. <laughs> I am a bread specialist. You boys have been with me, and you've seen what I can do, and you see I can feed 5,000, I can feed 4,000, and you got one loaf with you in the boat. But you're telling me that even though I can feed 5,000 on one occasion and 4,000 on another occasion, I can't feed 12 with one loaf. You got problems. Jesus said, I'm a, I'm a bread specialist. Listen, I fed 2 million people for 40 years in the wilderness by bringing bread down from heaven every morning. Fresh baked, hot, <laughs> rolled 
In fact, I'm the bread of life. Anybody that's hungry can come to me and I will feed them. There is nothing that I can't do when it comes to bread. I can make it in any way you want it, anywhere you want it, anytime you need it. And I can't believe you boys are sitting around worried about whether or not we got enough bread in the boat. <laughs> you, you got it's something wrong with you. Do you not yet understand, he asked. They didn't get it. It is possible for us Christians, you know, to, to be ADD. A-D-E-D, A-G-A-F, whatever, it's possible. I'm not making fun of people. There are people who legitimately cannot learn. I understand that. I'm not making fun of them. I'm making fun of you because ain't nothing wrong with you. (laughs) You ought to be totally confident in your God. You ought to know and you ought to be able to see clearly because you got two good eyes. This is the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples because he called them and said, come here, come, come here, come here. So they brought this man to him who was blind. Jesus says, great opportunity for me to give you boys and boys an object lesson because you are missing fundamentals. It's embarrassing to have God with you in the boat and you be worried about something. That's a problem. It is just as much a problem for you to have God in you and be worried about something. Jesus said, I need to give you an object lesson. Come here. He took the man over there and he spit on him and asked him, what do you see? He said, well, I can see, but people look like trees walking. Hmm. In other words, you can have two good eyes and still not see clearly. You can be looking and yet not know what you're looking at. Or you can be looking and see it, but it doesn't look like what it's really supposed to look like, even though your eyes are perfect. We're living in a society that is bombarding us. Men, you are going to have to be salty. We need salty men. And one good thing about salt, you pour salt in an open wound and that's going to be screaming and yelling and hollering and we're going to be some trying to clean it up because salt burns in an open wound. Everywhere you go, you ought to be making people mad, men. Somebody ought to be mad at you all the time. If you are a salty man, you are making people mad all the time. They're always complaining against you. Oh, he, oh here comes, oh my goodness, I get so tired. Mm-hmm. You got that salty man. So yeah, I live to be salty. Because we have a society that is trying to put us and marginalize us. They're trying to put us on the side. They're telling us that what we believe and what we know to be the truth is not real. And if you're quiet, you're acquiescing. And Jesus is saying, do you not understand? The Bible says that Jesus spit on this man. When he had spit on his eyes, that's peculiar. Didn't didn't you ask the question? Why did Jesus spit on this man? You know spitting's not nice. You don't like people spit on you, do you? Of course not. It's amazing, little children, little babies, once they figure out spitting, they think it's so cute. (laughs) 
And you list the mama that's getting spit on, it's just that we're We don't spit. And spitting is no, no, no spitting. We don't spit. Fascinated by people whose objective on trying to explain this path. Say, well, well, the reason Jesus spit on this man is because Jesus had a special spit. <laughs> oh, yeah, he had a special spit. And that spit is the one you want. Anybody else spit? Nah. You need to get some of this spit right here, boys. It's genuine from Jesus. I got it from him. Did you know that if you took all the pieces of the cross and put them together, the people claim they have a piece of the cross and stretch a mile high? Everybody's got a piece of that cross. Wow, that was a big cross. And that would be the same way about spit. Genuine, authentic spit of Jesus will heal anything. Nah, I doubt it. Some people say, well, maybe the man had a dirty face, and Jesus said, I don't work on dirty faces. <laughs> <laughs> Let me clean this up. What am I working with here? All right. All right. Jesus had a medicinal capability in his spit. Now, spit can be used medicinally. There, there are some days on a very cold day when I leave home and I don't have time to put lotion on, I use a little spit. <laughs> Most of y'all don't understand that, but see, it, it gets rid of the, it helps pimp a guy out, see, in a page. Probably not. Jesus did this miracle this way because he wanted to teach his disciples a lesson that they would never forget. He spit on the man and he said, listen, what do you see? And the man said, I can see now, but people look like trees. In other words, two good eyes is still not enough. You need to be able to see clearly. And it was only when Jesus touched, laid his hands upon him the second time that the man said, now I see everything clearly. I wonder, do you see clearly today? Are you still confused, frustrated? anxiety-ridden. Our culture is changing so fast. Things are going so crazy. Things are just nuts it, to me. Maybe it's just, I'm just so old. I'm old. Maybe that's my problem. I'm just too old. Neanderthal. In some ways, I feel like a fossil of years gone by. Men, I want you to know today that I'm calling upon you to be salty men, but to be a salty man, you've got to see and you must see clearly and you must meet the challenge of our day. And that challenge is to stand on the word of God and believe that Jesus Christ is all you need for life, circumstances, and situation. They never forgot the teaching example and illustration that Jesus used with this. It is not oh, after this verse, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. He knew he was a Christ, but he didn't, didn't know what kind. And the second half of the book of Mark is teaching them what kind of Messiah Jesus is. But with the miracle, they finally could see clearly that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And as such, we can stand with confidence on who he is, what he is, and what he can do. It's my hope that Coast community will continue to expand your geographical footprint and that people will continue to find the boat is 
quite enough because of Jesus, that he and he alone is the sufficiency of life. On Friday, I was here, but in Orlando, there was a circumstance and a situation that uh, has vexed me greatly. Young man made a mistake, and it was a costly one. The consequences of one choice has ruined his life forever. His choices are now limited because of one choice. It's my hope, men, that you will not allow one choice One worry, one fear, one anxiety that caused Jesus to have to reteach you his truth. My grandmother was a very wise woman. She told us often. I remember one time, I was about five or six years old, she told me to go in the kitchen and bring her something. And I went in there and I looked all over that kitchen and I couldn't see it. I, it's not here, Grandma. I know it's there because I put it there. It's not here. Well, if I have to come in there and get it, the whole object here was to get you to give it so I wouldn't have to go in there. But if I have to come in there and get it, I'm gonna have to teach you to look better. Well. Describe it. Well, what she told me to get was not what I heard her say I was supposed to get, therefore I couldn't get it. Sure enough, she came in there and it was up on the shelf sitting right there in plain view. And she uttered, of course, those immortal words of wisdom. If it was a snake, it would have bitten you. Yeah, but it wasn't a snake. <clears throat> Some things are best said low. <laughs> you can be looking right at it and yet not know it because it's not clear to you what you're looking for. Father, I pray today for Coastline for Coastal Community Church, Pastor Sean, the leadership and the men of this great church as they seek to be all that you have destined them to be. I particularly, Father, pray that you'd give them wisdom and insight. They would, that they would, that they will have asked for wisdom and you would have responded. That we may be faithful followers blessed to see clearly your will for us. In Christ's name, amen.